Um, and to those of you who, um, your fathers aren't here, I encourage you to uh, be a blessing to somebody else. Call them, uh, let them know you appreciate their influence in your life. We are in a series on the parables of Jesus Christ. Now, this is actually the 19th parable we've looked at today. And uh, we're about halfway through, just a little bit. So they'll take us at least uh, through the rest of the summer. Uh, this morning, I want to look at a parable about a father, actually. And uh, let me give you a little bit of background about this particular parable. It comes in the last uh, week in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, what has happened is Jesus has had the triumphal entry. He's gone into uh, the temple. Uh, he's turned over the tables. He has cursed the fig tree. There's a number of things that happen. And one of the things that uh, happens, which is a prelude, a prelude to this parable, is the religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, Hey, uh, what gives you the right to say and do what you're doing? And they wanted to know what authority he had to do this. And they were trying to trick him at this point, particularly as we get to the last uh, week in the life of Christ. And so Jesus asked them a question, which was common. He would often, uh, that was a way of teaching you to answer a question uh, with a question. And Jesus says, before I answer that, let me ask you a question. John the Baptist was he from God or not? And <clears throat> the text says that what happened is they then stepped aside and they said, let's have a powwow about this because this is a trick question. If we say that John the Baptist was from God, then they're going to say, then he's going to say, why didn't you follow him? But if we say that he was not from God, the people think John the Baptist is a prophet, and the people are going to turn on us. So they come back to Jesus, and they say, we can't say. And Jesus says, neither do I tell you by which authority I do this, because they were asking him a trick question. Then Jesus goes in, actually two parables, we're going to look at the first one this morning. And he starts this very simple parable, but it has some tremendous implications for us. And so with that, we're picking up the story. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 21, here's what it says. Again, I sound worse than I feel, all right? Uh, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. 
what the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So, <clears throat> I do better with water, don't I? So, uh, let's talk about the parable, and then let's get into the application for it. So, first of all, uh, notice a couple of things. First of all, the, the father has a request. And he says, I want you to go in the vineyard and work today. So that's the start. The first son looks at dad and says, no, not going to do it. But then, as he thinks about it, and literally the text is going, we're going to talk about this in a second. The text says he regrets what he said. And he thinks about it, and he goes. The second son, on the other hand, looks at dad and says, sure, dad, whatever you want. I'll be more than happy to go to the vineyard for you today. Don't worry about it. But he doesn't go. And Jesus says, now, which of these did the will of the father? Which of these did what dad wanted? And, of course, the answer is very, very simple. The first one did. Then Jesus, again, linking this back to this discussion with John, says, here's the thing. The first son repented. He changed his mind. When John came to this earth, John was a forerunner of Christ, and John's message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When they refused to listen to John, they refused to repent. And so Jesus then links two groups. He says, first of all, he uses tax collectors. Now, here's what you need to understand. Tax collectors in the day were considered um, rebels. Uh, they, were, they were considered traitors because <clears throat> tax collectors, um, they were Jewish people who worked for Rome. And often they would take advantage of Jewish people. So Jewish people wanted nothing to do with them. They literally looked at these people as lower than low. Uh, prostitutes were at that in that culture probably the the most base of moral uh, immorality. So Jesus looks at him and says, "You know what? The tax collectors and prostitutes, when they came to John, they repented. They said, "I don't want to do this anymore," and they changed their life. You, on the other hand, have rejected that message. Even when you saw them change, you didn't do anything about it. And Jesus, by saying this, says, looks at them and says, you need to know they're getting into the kingdom of God before you are. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, in this culture, the religious leaders considered themselves the closest to God out of anyone on the planet. It was God, them. For Jesus to look at them and say, the traitors and the most immoral people on this planet are going to get to God before you do, those were fighting words. In fact, one of the things that's unique about this parable, we talked about this when we started the series, the whole idea of the parables is they occur in the last year of the life of Christ. And part of the purpose of the parables is to, is to hide truth. 
Jesus didn't want to flaunt it in front of them. Jesus didn't want to want them to kill him before time, before the time came. So he speaks in parables. In this parable, he explains it. He's flat out saying, you are not going to get to heaven before these people do. And it's even more so in the next parable that he tells. In fact, after he tells these two parables, that's when they actually go out and plot to get rid of him. Um, This is really the start of Jesus's. And and, and by the way, when you look at the message of John, one of the things that happens early in the ministry of John the Baptist, John is preaching and the religious leaders say, let's go find out about this guy. So they send a delegation to go listen to John. So, again, the people closest to God in their minds going to visit John. And you would think when John sees them coming, he would go, ah, the religious leaders of the day, thank you for coming to our services this morning. John says, the vipers have arrived. So you can imagine from day one, this was not how to win friends and influence people. They had never been high on his radar. So Jesus brings this message up because he's saying, look, John, re- John preached repentance. And in this story, the people, the person who repented, the person who changed his mind, is the person who is elevated. So there's all kinds of implications in this story for us. Um, as Father's Day, um, sometimes it's easy um, to... Uh, forget some of these simple things that apply to all of us. So here we go. First thing. One of the things I think is great about this parable is you see the mercy of Jesus Christ. You see this idea that in this story, we don't care about their past. We care about what decision they made with Jesus Christ. All the time I talk to people who are like, well, you don't understand what I've done. You need to understand this. It doesn't matter. It's not about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do. It's not about what you've done. It's about whether or not you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's about whether or not you have repented, whether or not you have come to a point where you said, my way is not going to work. I'm going to trust and follow Jesus Christ. One of the things that you see in this story is this idea of they, the, the, the Jewish leaders to let the past define, determine the present and the future. In this story, the past doesn't determine the present and the future. What you did with Jesus Christ does. It's not about what the guy said. It's about what the guy does. At the beginning, he said, no. I'm not going into the field. Then, literally, the Greek language, it's interesting, the word for repent is a different word that's used here. And and the word here um, has the idea with it of regret. And he actually is saying this. And and the word that's used doesn't necessarily mean repentance in the sense of sometimes it leads to repentance, sometimes it doesn't. But it has the idea of regret. In other words, as the kid thought about it, he felt bad about it, and went to change it and do something different. He regretted the idea that he told Dad no. In this case, it led to repentance. And what's interesting is it's not about what the guy says, 
It's about what the guy does, and that's an important teaching here. But the first thing you see is the mercy of Christ. Jesus picks the two, in their culture, the two lowest people that existed and says, God's elevated them from here to here. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your past. I don't care about any of that. And neither does God. God offers salvation to everyone, regardless of your past. You go, you know, I don't have people say this all the time. You know, pastor, I go to that church, but I'm afraid if I walk in there, you know, God will blow the whole thing up. And I look at him and go, you know what? I walk in there every week. If he hasn't blown it up because of me, he definitely ain't blowing it up because of you. You know, it's not about your past. It's not about what you've done. It's about the fact that God offers salvation to all. You have to understand that. A second lesson in this story, and this is one that some of you are going to have a really hard time with, so you just hang on with me for a minute and, and, and give me a little bit of time to, to flesh it out, and I'm going to show you biblically why I believe this to be true. God doesn't care whether or not you obey him with a right heart. Let me say it again. God doesn't care whether you obey him or not with a right heart. God wants your obedience. We have been taught, and I have taught my kids, and you have taught your kids and grandkids and everything else, that obedience is a right heart attitude in obeying. That's what we believe. But here's what I'm going to suggest to you this morning. God doesn't care about your feelings when it comes to obedience. He just wants you to obey. You do not raise your children with this idea, do you? I look at my kids and I say, okay, I want you to go clean your room. Dad, I would clean my room, but right now, I'm just not feeling it. What would you say? I don't care what you feel. Go clean your room. <coughs> Why? Because we don't care what they feel. Just go clean your room. The, the issue is obedience. It's not about your feeling. Now, if you can clean your room with the right heart attitude, then you get a reward. But I don't care whether or not you feel it or not. Many people miss this. And there's a great Bible story that illustrates this. So hang with me. When we talk about the book of Jonah, we always focus on the first two chapters. One of my big pet peeves is that people miss the whole purpose of the book of Jonah. The key to the book of Jonah is the last verse of the last chapter. So I want to challenge you, if you've never read it with this insight or with this idea, go back and read the book of Jonah with what I'm going to suggest this morning. If you know the book of Jonah, here's what happens. God comes to Jonah, who's a prophet, and he says, I want you to go and preach against the Ninevites. Now, you need to understand that the Ninevites were the enemies of Israel. And I mean, if there was an enemy of Israel, the Ninevites were ruthless when it came to how they treated Israel and Jewish people. Probably the closest modern-day analogy would be when we were attacked on 9-11 years ago. You remember the gut-level feeling about a group of people, Al-Qaeda, who would do that to us? You remember how raw those emotions were? 
What if during that time God came to you and said, here's what you need to know. I have declared war on Al-Qaeda, and I'm going to destroy them. But before I destroy them, I'm going to give them one last chance. And you are the missionary who's going to go to Al-Qaeda and preach to them so they all get saved so I don't destroy them. Now, what would you say? Let's see, God. If I don't go, you're going to wipe out the people who, I, who have tried to kill us. But if I do go, you're going to let them live and give them more time. Boy, this is a tough one, God. And what Jonah does is he jumps in a boat. You know the story. He heads as far away, the opposite direction as he can. In the belly of the fish, he and God have a discussion. And God wins. And so the fish pukes him up on the land. God then comes to him a second time and tells him the exact same thing he told him the first time. And so Jonah goes. Jonah walks into Nineveh, and literally, if you read the Hebrew, if you read it in the original language, Jonah preaches an eight-word message. That's it. No pleading, no begging. He says, okay, God told me to go, I'm going to go. Jonah walks into town, repent, or God's going to wipe you out. I'm done. Literally, what Jonah does now is Jonah goes and sits on a hillside overlooking Nineveh. So Jonah is now perched. Jonah is now perched on this hillside saying, I don't know if I can do this. It's dangerous to do at my age. Jonah is now perched on the hillside watching and waiting for God to destroy this place. Okay, God, you said you're going to destroy him. Come on. The people of Nineveh repent. And they change and they turn to God. So God doesn't destroy them. And Jonah's sitting up on the hillside waiting for God to destroy them. And it's hot. And it gets hotter. And as it gets hotter, Jonah's starting to get a little uncomfortable. So God provides a plant that grows up over Jonah to shade him during the day. And Jonah's like, thank you, God. I'm on your side. You're going to do this. I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to do this, God. I'm waiting for you to do this, God. And he sits there. And then God wipes out the plant. Now Jonah's mad. Not only is he waiting for God to destroy the city, now Jonah's mad because his plant's gone. It's like, God, don't you care about me? And the book of Jonah ends with God and Jonah having a discussion. And God basically says, Jonah, why are you mad? You took away my plant. Literally, that's discussion. And I said, Jonah, got a question for you. You didn't do anything for that plant. I brought it. I gave it a shelter to you. I took it away. And you're sitting here and you care more about a plant than you do the people down there. The men, the women, the children that would die? I mean, what kind of perspective is that, Jonah? And then God ends in the last verse of the book of Jonah with this question to Jonah. Jonah, let me ask you something. 
you don't care about the plant, or if you don't care about the people, and you don't think, care about the children, if nothing else, Jonah, think about all the cattle that would have died. And that's how the book ends. The book ends with, Josh, with God confronting Jonah about the idea that, you know what? You don't care about people, but I do. And one of the things that you learn, carefully, one of the things that you learn in the book of Jonah, I'm get, that's getting, I'm learning at my age, that's getting harder than it used to be. Um, uh, one of the things that you learn about in the book of Jonah is this idea, and here's the key, this is what we're talking about in relationship to obedience. Jonah obeyed God, and Jonah went and did what God said. But Jonah's attitude and Jonah's heart were anything but what it should have been. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about children. He didn't care about the, the, the women. He didn't care about the city. In fact, he wanted with every fiber of his being for God to wipe them out. But he was obedient. Notice this. God blessed his obedience. The greatest revival in the Old Testament. There are more people that saved that come to God in Jonah's preaching than any other mention in a revival in the Old Testament. But when Jonah gets to heaven, you think there's any reward for what he did? He was obedient, but his heart was far from God. That's why I say, God doesn't care about why you're obedient. He wants you to be obedient. Now, for blessing, to hear that well done and good and faithful servant, you want to have the right attitude. But if God has to make a choice between you being obedient and being happy about it, or you just being obedient, it's about obedience, just like it is with your kids. Like I say, do I care? Whether or not my kids have the right attitude about cleaning their room? No. That's their problem, not mine. I just want the room clean. When God speaks to our heart about something, I have people, well, you know, I just don't feel like it. I feel like I'd be hypocritical to do it. Do it. Nike had it right. One of the few things they got right, but they got that one right. Just go do what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm just waiting until I feel it. You, you won't tolerate that with your children or your grandchildren. Why are you going to tolerate it? Why do you think your God will tolerate it? It doesn't make sense. And I have people all the time, you know, you know, well, you know, yes, I know I should forgive that person, but I'm afraid, you know, because I can't do it with, a, with the right attitude. I don't just forgive them. Why? Because God says forgive. That's why. I think what you'll find is as you do it, God starts working in your heart through it. But this idea of obedience is important. And in the story, what's ironic is, the one who says the right thing is not the one who's honored. It's the one who does the right thing that's honored in the story. And that brings us to the last point of it. What you do is more important than what you say. Isn't that why in Iowa, we just don't have a lot of um, respect for politicians? 
because they're all talk and no show? Aren't the ones who we like people who actually go and do something? Is that why we're all frustrated with Washington right now? Because it's all talk. It's all talk. And, you know, there's not a pulse on real America. Um, There's just a pulse on whoever's the loudest part of America. We want to see something done. Um, Isn't that why? Uh, You know, again, you, you know it. You've been in business with people who said, oh, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, and then they don't do it. Wouldn't you rather have somebody look at you and say, you know, I, I ordered a part. Um, I ordered a part in January, and it's still not in. I, call, I, I contacted a company a couple months ago about it, and I said, hey, look, oh, I mean, this is like a two-week deal. What's the deal? And they went, you know what? Here's the deal. Um, uh, we're guessing at best we're going to get this in July. And you have two options. You can either cancel it and try to find another source, or you can wait till July and it may even be longer than that. You know what? I have a lot of respect for that company. You know why? They didn't say, oh, yeah, well, we'll get it to you as soon as we can. I have a lot of respect for them because now I know to make a decision. Why? They were straight up with me. They were straight up with me. I, the part happened to be something I didn't have to have right away, so maybe in July I'll get it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. July, I'll figure it out. One of the things that we look at in this passage is you have somebody whose action, in this this case, you have somebody who said something and their action didn't follow. Actually, in both stories. But in one case, one was obedient, one wasn't. Who do you think dad's more pleased with? The one who went in the field that day or the one who didn't? The one who said he was going or the one who didn't say or said he wouldn't go? At the end of the day, dad's much more pleased with the one who went out in the field. And I think it's significant, by the way. He says, I need this to happen today. We get, we get an idea, even in a story, that there was some urgency about why he needed it done today. Believe it or not, tomorrow God's going to say to you, just as he said to you today, here's what I want you to do. And some of you are going to walk out of here and go, yeah, yeah I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And you're going to do diddly. There's others of you who you're going to struggle with it. And there's some of you who are going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I want God to use me today. So I want God to use me this week. There's some of you, you know there's somebody you need to go talk to. Some of you are going to be obedient. Some of you aren't. Some of you, there's, there's whatever issue. Maybe it's a deal where <clears throat> you need to be baptized and you've been struggling with it. Well, I'm just waiting until I feel it. Feel it. Get in the water. You'll feel it. You know? I mean, for some of you, you know, it might be one of those deals where, you know, well, you know, I'm just waiting until the Spirit comes over me and I can forgive that person. Just forgive them. Start moving on. You know, well, you know, you just don't, you know, well, you know, I know I need to make this decision because I know it will be best for us and da 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 But I'm just waiting until... I'm waiting till the rainbow and the unicorns appear, and I know. Just go do it. It's, it you go, is it really that simple, Pastor? Yes. Yes. You know? 
But we, we, we cloud it with all of these things today. And all the reasons that we can or all the reasons that we should. And we, we, we bank so much on how we feel about something. And this is what I'd say to you. you. You don't tolerate it as a parent. Why do you think God looks at you and goes, okay, yeah, I'll just sit back and wait until you feel it. God wants obedience from his children. That's why James, one of the earliest books written to the church, says be doers of the word and not hearers. Go out and live it. And I want to challenge this week because I think sometimes we forget this. I think we make it far more complicated than it is. And I think we allow Satan to bring in all of these issues to muddy it for us. And I would say that if we're really going to honor God with our lives, then we need to be obedient. If you really want God's blessing and smile of approval on it, then do it with the right attitude. But at least go do it. That's why I say, the people of Nineveh repented because a guy was obedient whose heart was not in it, and their lives were spared because of somebody who just acted out of obedience, even though their heart wasn't in it. Why? Because God uses obedience. A guy would much rather Jonah have preached those people and then ministered to them and encouraged them and helped them and grow than they went and gotten in a mess years down the line where God did have to destroy them. But instead, Jonah just sat on the hill, happier about a plant than he was people. And I think that's a great lesson for all of them. So I, I just want to challenge as we go forward. And, you know, as a dad... Um, you know, one of the things you try to teach your kids is to be obedient and to do it the first time. Our Heavenly Father's no different. Our Heavenly Father's no different. And he gives us this parable to remind us of this idea that's important for us to be obedient. That's important for us to obey. So I end with this this morning. The parable of the father and the two sons reminds us that God offers salvation to all. God desires children who live in obedience to his will and his plan. God wants a faith that is evident in our actions as well as our words. Salvation is by faith in Christ, not works. But a salvation that is without works is not a faith that Jesus offers. Real Christianity is a lifetime of changing things in your life to be more like Christ. It's a faith that is continually active and obedient. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we live in a culture that wants us to accept everything and not change anything. The message of salvation, Lord, is one that goes far beyond that. Lord, you died so that we could not just simply have a faith and spend eternity with you, but so that we could live out your principles here. So help us to do that. Lord, use us. On this Father's Day, Lord, may each of us be obedient to our Heavenly Father in all we do. These things we ask in your name. Amen.